This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Poetry doesn't save lives. If a child is dying of diarrhea, poetry is not going to save their life. <laughs> but I don't want to live in a society without poetry. I'm Neil Harvey. It's All Love Begins with Seeing, Poetry and Justice for All, with poet Shelja Patel. This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. First, know that poetry will never stop your heart from breaking. Keep your world from shattering. Put food in your child's belly. Poems will not filter the arsenic out of water. Give your Palestinian neighbour back her birthright. Graft the limbs back onto Iraqi children. But if you can reach for one word and lay it down on the page, reach for a second word and lay it beside the first, then sometimes, like a benediction, the third will be given to you. And in the face of all evidence to the contrary, you will believe there is a radiance, something you cannot name, can hardly glimpse, and you know better than to call it justice, or mercy, or love, or anything other than a reason to listen for the next word. Shelcha Patel is an acclaimed poet of South Asian and Kenyan ancestry. Her unique artistry is a provocative global mashup of genres. She's a slam poetry champion, and she stars in her own award-winning play, Migritude, a one-woman show about the intricate webs of global migration and cultural identity. Through her fearless art, she embodies the authentic voices of those who are powerless, marginalized, silenced in every society. What is the voice of an Iraqi mother whose children are killed and maimed by U.S. bombs? Or a Palestinian refugee? Above all, for her, the ultimate destination of poetry is justice, too heartbreakingly beautiful to be denied. Join us for All Love Begins With Seeing, Poetry and Justice for All, with playwright, poet, and spoken word artist Shelja Patel. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. With hindsight, I see the kind of things that shaped me were very much growing up as a brown minority citizen of a black majority African country. So from a very early age, having a sense of being an outsider and being on the margins and in the in-between space between different cultures and different societies. And then growing up as a citizen of an African nation and learning at a certain point that the realities that we lived with, the geopolitical realities, the climatic realities, the monetary and economic realities were determined in the centre, the global north, and we lived with the impact of foreign policy and global policy that was made far, far away from us with no concept of our involvement and certainly no input into those policies. And I've been a writer all my life, as far back as I can remember. Before I could even write, I was fascinated by the shapes of words, and I used to copy letters out of books with no idea what they meant. And I've been writing rhymes and stories 
since I was a child. Growing up in Kenya, I've been saying since I was a child I want to be a writer, but there was it was certainly not seen as a viable career possibility in the world I grew up in. Nobody I knew made a living as a writer. It really just didn't exist as a a career. So my parents wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, something secure, something lucrative, something professional and respectable. And they said, you can write as a hobby. So I did my degree in politics and economics, and then I worked in the corporate world in London for a few years. And then I moved to the US and went through various different career paths. And it's only for the last five years that I've been a full-time working artist. And I discovered the slam poetry scene in the Bay Area about nine years ago and fell in love with it and began to do slam and to compete in poetry slams and went to two slam nationals. And so I served my apprenticeship as a poet and a performer in that space. And then I began to write longer pieces and to be asked to perform and booked to perform in spaces outside SLAM and for the first time began to be paid for those performances. And I was working at the time as the finance director for a nonprofit in San Francisco and I got laid off from my job just around the time that I started to be offered more and more gigs. So I thought this was the universe giving me a kick to take it seriously and to try and make a living as a full-time artist. In short order, critics recognize Shelja Patel as a one-woman poetic explosion with a burning passion for justice and for, in Pacific Radio News anchor Amy Goodman's phrase, going where the silence is. A lot of my pieces just come from an initial impulse. There's a doorway of emotion and sensation that opens for me is the gateway to a poem. I write about things that enrage me. I write about things that move me deeply. Most of my writing is really an attempt to get people to see, to communicate something I see, whether it's joy, beauty, pain, rage, that I want to get out there into the world. Many of my more political pieces are really about bringing the voices of those I see silenced or the stories that I feel are not being told in a certain space to light and to be heard. It's very important to me that the art I make is grounded in political analysis, in economics, in geography, in what's happening on the planet, biology, the truths of nature. And it's also really important to me to find ways to tell those truths that enter people through the gut and through the heart. A quintessential Shelja Patel poem is For the Women of Project Pride. She wrote it during a series of creative writing workshops she taught in West Oakland, a neighborhood in the San Francisco Bay Area. Residents of West Oakland have for many years been deprived of resources and infrastructure. They suffer from high rates of crime and poverty. Patel taught at Project Pride, a rigorous substance abuse recovery facility where women are serving out their jail sentences. In addition, all the women living at Project Pride are pregnant or have young infants under the age of two. So these women are dealing with 
unimaginable challenges. They're pregnant, they're about to give birth, or they're staying up all night with crying babies, they're sleeping six to a dorm, they're facing having to go out into the world at the end of their sentences and make lives for themselves, their kids, their other existing kids, and they're dealing with recovery from addiction. And all of them, when you start to find learn their stories, so many of them have been failed over and over again by every system from childhood that should have protected or supported them or given them any kind of resources to fulfill their humanity. And yet they got up and came to these workshops and they wrote their hearts out and it blew my mind. So I wrote this poem for them as a tribute to them after one workshop where we'd been exploring themes and ideas of motherhood in the workshop. And a lot of the language in the workshop was drawn from their own writing. Once upon a time, there was a voice. She wore blue jeans shaped lovingly to the fine, fat, curves of her ass, the bold, strong swell of her thighs. She loved red and Motown and silver hoop earrings and anything lemon-scented. But most of all, she loved the milky peanut butter scent of her son's small body. She roamed the asphalt of West Oakland, searching for her mother, trying to remember what her mother looked like, her right hand clamped under her left breast where she kept an ache she could not name. You say, do you see me? Look and tell me what you see. I'm looking at you now. The lovely, tired contours of your bellies. Bellies that have ripened children, done the work of building life. Bellies that pack enough power to lift this landmass from Richmond to Hayward, flip it over like a pancake, toss it into the bay. And if I know one thing on this scarred and terrible earth, it is this. Your bellies have one more life to birth. Your own. If I trust one thing on this scarred and merciful earth, it is this. All love begins with seeing. How I learn to write is how I learn to love. Because to write anything, first I have to see it. In its wholeness, without judgment. In its detail, without censorship. And I'm looking at you now. As you look at yourselves, well enough, deep enough, true enough, hard enough, to write yourselves well and deep and true and hard, to love yourselves well, deep, true, hard, to be the wellness, deepness, trueness, hardness that will rock the world. Once upon a time, there was a voice. She wore big baggy white t-shirts to cover the folds of her stretch-marked belly. She twisted her hair constantly to quiet her fingers craving for just one cigarette. She loved hot dogs and pepperoni pizza and ocean spray in her face, but most of all she loved the taste of sobriety in her mouth. She stood outside a bathroom door, calling for her mother, clamping her other hand over her ear, poking her fear through the keyhole with a fingernail bitten raw, clamping her hand over her ear to shut out a scream she could not bear to hear. You say, do you hear me? Does anybody hear us? I'm listening to you now. The place where you catch your breath in your throat as you read, lock it down into your chest as if the police were coming to take it away. I'm listening to your heart's 
break over and over on the page, listening to you remake your lives from shattered glass, listening to the laughter that still chuckles in your hips that nothing has ever silenced, listening to your hunger as it howls at the junction of 27th and San Pablo for lives that rise to meet your largeness. And if I believe one thing on this scarred and silenced earth, it is the fire in your throats just waiting for a match. If I believe one thing on this scarred and singing earth, it is the hosanna of your hands, diaper-stained, exhausted, hands that heft babies, parole hearings, cribs and strollers and three years more and God, my back hurts and who's he with now and what if I never? Hands that reach again and again for one word and lay it down on the page, reach for a second word and lay it beside the first and sometimes like a benediction the third is given to you and you write the dangerous sacred irreplaceable truths of your lives poet shelja patel a benediction of words fire in a throat waiting for a match when we return what does it mean to stand for justice as a woman and artist. This is All Love Begins With Seeing, Poetry and Justice for All. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Bioneers Radio is made possible in part by John Masters Organics. Feel good about looking good. Learn more at johnmasters.com. To explore more Bioneers radio shows and conference videos for free, visit bioneers.org. In Shelja Patel's poetry, bringing forth the voices of women from the silence is a reoccurring motif. Yet from her point of view, it's about more than just gender equity. There's never been a point in history where women have not been doing extraordinary things and keeping societies alive and pioneering new frontiers of knowledge of human activity. What's happening in our time is that that is becoming more visible, that it's finally becoming integrated into the main story rather than being seen as the, the side narrative or the exception we are finally beginning to uncover that whole piece of human history and human reality that's been hidden for so long. And it's still happening painfully slowly. I'm actually uncomfortable with the idea that the primary goal is simply to place women in positions of power or to bring women's voices forward or to put women in positions of authority or 
positions of control because that is a, a kind of identity politics that says simply replacing the people in the structures is what's going to bring about fundamental change. For me, fundamental change comes from dismantling structures which are inherently unjust and cannot deliver justice and equity. And what are the structures I'm working with? What's the, the basic vision that I'm working with? And where I come from and the work I do is about building alliances, building coalitions and being in partnership with everyone who has a vision of justice and equity and equality. And having more women in positions of power is about redressing a huge historical imbalance. But that's not the goal. The goal is justice. And in a just and equitable world, then any structure of power will actually reflect the diversity and the totality of humanity. In other parts of the world, I think that is still not the case. Certainly in East Africa, in Kenya, formal education is hugely important. And having paper qualifications, having the credentials, having the degrees, it makes all the difference between even being at the table or even being a contender for any kind of position or being able to make a difference and do what you want to do. And while I absolutely value and respect life experience and non-traditional paths and the learning that comes from being in the field, I also think it's extremely important for women to have access to institutional paths and to have access to institutional support and the kind of structures of support that formal training offers. It's also about structures of mentorship. Traditionally, institutions have not mentored women and women have had to struggle to find mentors, whereas men have had many traditional and very easily accessible structures of mentorship. So again, I think that the point is to make all possibilities available to women, but certainly within institutions, to focus on structures of mentorship, structures of access, making women welcome in those spaces, rather than encouraging them to just eschew spaces which don't make them welcome. And the motto of one of the networks I work with, Jubilee South, which is a coalition of activists in Africa and across the South that is basically working to have countries refuse to pay off odious debt, debt incurred by tyrannical regimes to global monetary institutions. Their motto is nothing about me without me, which is really a, a sort of global principle that policy and philanthropy and any kind of project that may have the best of intentions has to get over the missionary position. Let the poor speak for themselves, let women speak for themselves, let Africans speak for themselves, let slum dwellers speak for themselves because they're all perfectly capable of speaking for themselves and articulating their needs and their reality. Nothing about me without me. Let the voiceless speak for themselves, says Shelja Patel. And she says, art is a fundamental human impulse. There is no society on the face of the earth, going back as far as recorded history allows us to, that has not used image, used sound, used the, the power of the imagination to express itself. If we go back to the earliest recorded images of cave paintings or 
early musical instruments, we find them alongside arrowheads and alongside cooking vessels. You could argue that Stone Age human beings, why weren't they just focused on their most basic survival needs? Why were they making music while they were also stalking animals or figuring out how to survive the Ice Age? But they were, so because that's what human beings do. Babies don't just scream for food. They make sound for the pleasure of making sound. They respond to shape and image and light and and all sorts of stimuli around them that are not necessary to their survival. And so as human beings, we are less human when we focus purely on survival in the most basic sense, which is food, shelter, the survival of the physical corpus. As human beings, we are made with a, a range of senses and a capacity to respond to sensory input and to interact with our environment. And that's what makes us human. And it's not just human beings, it's animals as well. There's a particular biological purpose for the creation of beauty, the perpetuation of beauty, the survival of the human species. Poetry doesn't save lives. If a child is dying of diarrhea, poetry is not going to save their life. (laughs) But I don't want to live in a society without poetry. I want a society where nobody is dying of starvation, where nobody is dying of dehydration, where all of us have our basic needs met so that we have the capacity to express ourselves fully as human beings. And so that's my goal, yes, to to write love poems that change people politically, to write political essays that have the quality and the power and the the compelling memorability of love poems, (laughs) to have people read my love poems in politics classes and (laughs) to have people read my political poems in classes on poetry. Again, here's Shelja Patel with the conclusion of her poem for the women of Project Pride. Once upon a time, there was a voice. Her eyes were radiant with hope and flamed with intelligence. Her body was a living question mark. She took in the world around her, turned it over in her brain, asked why. And who makes money from this? And how do I fit into this shit so whacked it ain't even funny picture? She loved drums and blues soft cotton on her skin and every question her daughter asked but most of all she loved the muscles of her mind she had strong feet which had to party when the beats began she shook her booty up and down the corridors of project pride relearning what her mother felt like redefining what a mother feels like reintegrating what it is to be mothered her belly was round and soft with a contentment that she knew, intimately. She called it recovery. You say, do you feel me? Can you begin to feel what I must live? I'm feeling you now. The stab in your knees at the top of the staircase, the rise of hairs on your arm in exact configuration of your baby's body. I'm feeling the ice in your toes each morning. Every day you choose to live again from joy, not fear. I'm feeling the sadness in your spine for all the lost years. The warrior cry in your chest, never again. The hum in your very cells of coming home to yourself. And if I know one thing 
on this fragile, luminous earth, it is this. You are all so beautiful. So f***ing beautiful. You are the earth beneath the asphalt, the rich dark soil where all life rises. You are the largeness you seek. And if I have one prayer on this naked turning earth, it is this, that you meet yourselves in the mirror. Name yourselves holy. Name yourselves power. Name yourselves true and terrified, blessed and bloodied, torn and re-knitted, shattered and sanctified. That you rise into your voices, voices that have waited for you, like your children, like your hearts, voices that have always known, voices that have never doubted, you would return for them. Poet and playwright Shelja Patel, offering her global vision of justice, because it all begins with seeing and with a fire in the throat. All love begins with seeing, poetry and justice for all. Many more Bioneers radio programs and conference videos are available online for free at Bioneers.org, where you can also find out how to attend the annual Bioneers conference and local Bioneers satellite conferences near you. Bioneers voices are heard more widely with your support. Join by visiting Bioneers.org or by calling one 877 The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Osabel. Written by Catherine Stifter and Kenny Osabel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Production management, Aaron Leventman and Chuck Castleberry. Station relations by Creative PR. Distribution is by WFMT Radio Network. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at SoundsTrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 0211. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, organic and family-owned since 1988. Learn more at organicvalley.coop. Also by Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, as well as by the generous support of listeners like you.